So Revelation chapter 3, let's go to the Word of God this morning. And I will, I will be candid with you. I, I wrestled a little bit. I didn't wrestle a week ago. I felt in prayer a week ago. This is what the Lord had, had given me for us this morning. But I did wrestle with it. I don't know why this morning and last night I almost went a different direction. And uh, beginning part of this service, uh, the scripture was read opening our service, which is the same scripture that I'm going to read now. So that's me know we're in, in the right place at the right time. Revelation 3.14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, please notice that, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. I want you to notice how particularly John addresses this particular church of the seven churches of Revelation. All the other churches, he addressed them differently. He said, unto the church in Smyrna, unto the church in Pergamos, unto the church in Thyatira. In this case, he says, unto the angel of the church, not in Laodicea, but of the Laodiceans. It's going to make a lot of sense in a little while here. He said, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. You have allied yourself with your culture. And he said, now you're not just the church in Laodicea, you are the church of the Laodiceans, he said. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He said, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, he said, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will puke you out of my mouth, he said. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And he said, because this is what you were saying, and have need of nothing and knowest not. He said that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And I feel a witness of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, help us today in Jesus' name. I want to preach to you this morning about a revival in Laodicea. I want to preach about a revival in Laodicea. Can you lift your hands to the Lord one more time, open your heart and your spirit to God, and ask God to help us communicate, talk to us. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Holy Ghost, have your way in this house today. In Jesus' name, thank you already for the move of the Spirit. Now, Lord, your word will be in agreement with your spirit, O oh God. And I pray, marinate the two together. Help me, Lord, to communicate and say what needs to be said in the way it needs to be said. Touch every heart and every life, O oh God. And I pray, give us revival in America. Give us revival in our country. Give us revival in our city. Give us revival in our church. And give us revival in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. And as you do these things, we'll thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. A revival in Laodicea. America has become fat, materialistic, apathetic, and ungodly. 
Much of the religion, I hate to say this, and I say it with no glee or no delight, but much of the religion in America has become bland and ineffective. Probably in, in many ball games, and it happens in many different places throughout our country, the song is sang probably around uh, Independence Day, God bless America. God bless America. Probably what we ought to be really saying, first of all, is America bless God. Because there are some things God's not going to bless. We can pray all the prayers that we want all day long and fast until our belly button falls off. But some stuff's God, God's not going to bless. And so what we need to pray is that America would bless God. America would wake up and bless God. Oh, I feel Jesus here. Oh, hallelujah. What are you saying? And I'm going to use a word that I like to use a lot. We need revival. We need revival. We need revival. We need revival in America. We need revival in our country. We need revival in Minnesota. Minnesota needs revival. We need revival in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids needs revival. We need revival in our families. Come on, somebody. We need revival in our homes. We need revival in our marriages. We need revival in our own hearts. We need revival. We need revival. I would say here today that there are far too many people that are just getting by. How, how many in America are just pining the years away and they're just getting by? There's no heart passion. There's nothing really worth living for. There's very little enthusiasm many ways. I would say here this morning that if there's one place that ought to have enthusiasm and excitement and vigor and strength, it ought to be the people of God. The people that have been born again of the water and of the spirit. Enthusiasm. You know the word enthusiasm? You know where that comes from? It comes. It is derived from a Greek word. It literally means entheos. It means that God is within. It means to be possessed by a God. Enthusiasm. It means rapturous inspiration like that caused by a God enthusiasm. I'm going to tell you there's too much enthusiasm for the wrong things in America. There's enthusiasm for pumpkin growers. If you grow the big enough pumpkin, everybody gets excited about it. There's enthusiasm for bat protectors. And I know they eat mosquitoes and that excites us in Minnesota. I went to the Science Museum a number of years ago and I went through, they had a massive display there, a massive display as big as this room and it was entirely dedicated to bats, to bats. And it said everything about all the values of bats. And at the end of that, when you got to the end of that display, they had a little piece of paper there that you could pick up on your way out and it literally said, adopt a bat. And it was like a partner in mission. It was like a PIM form. It was like a missionary form for a bat program. People are excited about the wrong stuff. They are enthused about the wrong things. We got tree huggers. We got sports nuts. We got people that are excited about everything in the world. When can I tell you, the greatest thing in the world, who better to exemplify enthusiasm than those that have been born of a power, the power of the world to come, 
the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, Jesus. Who better to be excited than those that have experienced the power of the world to come? What we have in Jesus is better than what this world can give. Oh, hallelujah. That's why we're here today. Oh, hallelujah. Now, there's a lot of people in this building. They came from the other side of the tracks. They were living in the back seat of their car. They were dealing drugs. They were living in a way that was full of ill repute and they had no purpose and meaning to life until the day came that something got a hold of us. And it wasn't religion. It was Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus. It was the word of God. It was an experience unlike anything we'd ever had in our life. We call it Pentecost. I'm telling you this morning, it is something to get excited about. Thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the things of Almighty God. Let's put our hands together and thank the Lord this morning. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We got something to get excited about today. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God. Amen. The book of Revelation, the first three chapters, interestingly, you got a Bible, you want to go there. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation, seven different churches. And John is writing to these seven different churches, and he's got a message for each one of them. And he writes a message to the angel. Now, I don't believe that angel was a spirit being. It was a messenger. I believe it was the leaders of those local churches. Seven churches in Asia Minor. From a geographic perspective, there were seven churches that were in close proximity to each other. From the farthest church in the north, you find Pergamum. If you can put that map up, it might give us a little insight. There's a map. The very farthest church to the north is Pergamum. The farthest church in the south, Laodicea, 130 miles in distance. From Pergamum to the closest neighboring church in Thyatira was only 35 miles. 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, 40 miles from Ephesus. If you look at it, it's, we just had a rally here in our church yesterday. We had a great time. I thank God for it. Wonderful time. The United Pentecostal Church. It's what we call Section 3. I think 13 churches. This setting in the scripture was not unlike Section 3 of the United Pentecostal Church. These were churches that were in close proximity to one another. It is interesting that John, when he gets a message from God and begins to write to these different churches, literally he addresses them in a circular manner. He begins in Ephesus and then speaks to Smyrna and then speaks to Pergamos and then Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. He's writing to these seven churches that are in close proximity to one another. What I want to remind us all of is that these were literal churches that were in literal cities. These were full of people that were apostolic. These were apostolic. These were seven apostolic churches. That means they had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. That means they had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That means they believed in Jesus and the identity of Jesus and who Jesus was, that he was one singular God. He was the God of the Old Testament manifest in the flesh. These were apostolic churches. 
These were apostolic churches that had been reared and raised on holiness and righteousness and godliness. These were churches that had experienced the power of revival and evangelism. These were churches that had been on fire with the power of God. I want to just take a slight momentary pause this morning and say I thank God for the local church. Amen. Not just the church universal. Not just the church in conceptual form, but I thank God for the church that is born in a locale, in a specific geographic region that God cared enough about people that God said there's going to be a birthing of a church in a particular city to give that city hope in Jesus Christ. They were organized. They were prayerful. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They attended church on a weekly basis and they gathered together and they fellowshiped together and they encouraged one another and they evangelized their community together they were a local church that was built for the glory of God that was to be a bastion of growth and revival in a region that an entire region could experience come on somebody revival that's why the church was there And I thank God today for the church. I thank God for the church. In fact, there are times that I pray and I think about it and I kind of wonder about it. I wonder if John was to write to Grand Rapids. I wonder what he would have to say about us. And I pray that we are sensitive enough and tuned enough to the Lord that we can receive spiritual directives from God as to where we are. As to where we are in the spirit and where God wants us to be. I pray that we'd be open enough to God that he could send us apostolic injunctions that would show us where we are, that we could open ourselves to God. Why? So that we can be the church that God's called us to be in entirety, in maturity, in anointing, in blessing, in effectiveness, that we could be the church in Grand Rapids that God wants us to be. He cared so much for the church that he sent a message to each one of these churches, to the angel particularly, and it was the angel's job. It was the messenger, the minister's job then to bring that message to the church. I don't have time. I wish I did. I feel a long, hot Bible study coming on. Amen. No, we don't have time to get into all seven churches of Revelation, but the one I feel particularly to deal with this morning, and I'll let the cat out of the bag. The reason I feel like dealing with this one, I feel like the Lord has led me to this one, is because Laodicea is America, and I believe America is Laodicea. Now watch, watch with me. Laodicea, one of the most important, influential, and flourishing cities in Asia Minor. Sitting atop a low, flat hill, the white cliffs of the thermal springs of Hierapolis are visible to the north. The snow-capped peak of Mount Cadmus rises to the south. Simply put, if you were to walk into Laodicea, you would be impressed. Your socks would be blown off. It was an impressive city. Technologically, it was impressive. It was impressive financially. It was impressive in so many ways. Literally, stone aqueducts brought water six miles north from Denizli through the valley and into the city. It was an engineering feat. Now, you and I, we don't really get the blessing of what we have, that we just go to a faucet, we crack that faucet, and water comes out. And we go, and we get really kind of ticked off if it doesn't work that way. We get mad if the hot water doesn't come out of the shower. Okay, I get mad if the hot water doesn't come out of the shower. That bugs me. 
I don't like it. But you got to realize for hundreds of years, there was no such thing as having running water, having access to running water. In fact, the massive city of Rome was nothing more than almost like a sewage plant. You could smell the sewage from a long distance away because they didn't even have indoor plumbing that could get rid of the sewage out of the city. But here is Laodicea, a city that is so far ahead of its time that they have engineers that figure out a way that they build this stone aqueduct that literally transports water six miles away and brings that water that long distance six miles away right into their city. We got running water. We're Laodicea. They had a powerful textile industry that harvested the rich raven black wool from sheep raised in the valley below. And that allowed them to create beautiful black garments. And again, here we are in America. We have access to wonderful clothing. We whine and complain a little bit in Grand Rapids because we don't have a lot of shopping. But I'm telling you what, we have access to a lot of goods and available goods. We really do. These people, they had access to beautiful black garments because of the black, beautiful black wool and, that they had that was raised in their valley below. Not only did Laodicea have this, they, they boasted a fine medical center that was known, notice with me please, for its ophthalmology, its ability to work with people's eyes and its progressive eye salves. They made eye salves that allowed people to see in a better way and healed eye diseases. Not only did they have these centers of medicine in Laodicea, they also had in Laodicea a banking center. Savings accounts were available. Mortgages were possible. Emergency loans were made. Letters of credit were issued and safe deposits were in use. It was an economically prosperous city. A large Roman road brought a steady flow of industry and traffic into Laodicea. What a town it was. They had indoor plumbing. They had water that flowed into the city. They had a beautiful textile industry. They had a medical clinics throughout their, their community. It was an amazing place. They had banks where you could get loans. Uh-oh. It was known for its wealth. It was known for its prosperity. The money flowed in and out. Industry was strong. Laodicea's constituents were wealthy, prosperous, and they were living luxuriant lives. So prosperous was Laodicea that it is illustrated by the fact that Laodicea was rebuilt. There was a massive earthquake, earthquake that happened in the region. The majority of the cities in the region had to go to Rome for help. They had to get financial assistance from Rome. But Laodicea was so self-sufficient that when the earthquake came, they didn't have to call up Rome because they had the internal resources and riches that allowed them to take care of themselves. And it allowed them to offer the proud boast that Laodicea needed no one, not even Rome. So Laodicea was not an average city. It was none other than Laodicea. It was the kind of a city that people wanted to live in. It had a nightlife. It had entertainment. It had prestige and power and progress and reputation. And yet in spite of all this, I find it amazing. They say historically it was about 55 or 56 A.D. that a church was planted into this city. I'm so thankful that God loves and cares about everybody. He cares about the poor. He cares about the rich. He cares about the young. He cares about the old. Jesus wants everybody to be saved. He did talk to the rich young ruler. He did care about the rich young ruler enough to give him a message that was, he was trying to help him with. 
And so God cared enough about this rich, prosperous city that he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a church in that city. I'm going to send fiery evangels into that city that are going to preach the gospel. And there were people in the city of Laodicea that received the message of salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. There were people in the city that repented of their sins, were water baptized in the name of Jesus, and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And into that city begins a growing church. And they begin to win people. And I'm sure like any church when it starts and any converts that comes in, there's a zeal, there's a passion, there's a eagerness, there's a fire within them. And they love coming to church. And they love worshiping God. And God brought them out of the world. And they were different. Because that's what happens when Jesus saves you. He doesn't just save us in our sin. He saves us from our sin. He changes our life. And what we used to be, we are no longer. I thank God today that Jesus changed my life. I thank God today. He washed my sins away and gave me the power to not have to go back to those sins anymore. And that's what the church in Laodicea was filled with. People not unlike you and I that came into the church and experienced something powerful, something life-transforming in their life. And they began to gather together. They began to love the Lord. They began to evangelize their committee, uh, their, their community. They said 56 AD. And yet evidently something transpired in a three-decade period of time. From the time of this church's inception when it began like any church should and does begin in the fire. That something happened between 56 and 96 AD. Three years, 30 years transpires. And evidently somehow the fire that they used to have, the church in Laodicea no longer has. I'd like to say it like this in summarizing this message here today. That ultimately, remember we read in the beginning, they were the church of the Laodiceans. What does that mean? That means that the condition of the city began to reflect itself in the citizens of the church. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that the people were doing well. Their houses were growing. Money was flowing in. They were gaining prominence within the community. Up and comers. The saints had no doubt gathered. They sang their songs, but the songs had little heart. They came to church, but church never came home with them. Their Sunday gatherings were like trips to a distant planet, only to come home and to just get back to, to real life. The surreal surroundings and trappings of religion were there. After all, they were not completely godless like the heathen that were still in Laodicea, their city. But neither were their stories of the revival church in Jerusalem showing itself in Laodicea anymore. The stories that were happening in Antioch or Philadelphia, they heard the reports of. Really, the church in Laodicea, they weren't all that bad, but they neither were all, they all that good either. A church in Laodicea lingering in the Pentecostal purgatory, captured between the world of convenience and conviction, caught between the world of ease and passion, was none other than the illustrious church of Laodicea, possessing a country club Christianity with enough religion to lull the senses yet not save the soul. 
halting between two opinions of red-hot Holy Ghost fervor and totally cold lostness. Lingering between two polar opposites, but somewhere in between was the church in Laodicea. And to top it all off, they were pleased with themselves. They would say in Laodicea, we are so happy with ourselves. We got a quaint little church and, and we believe in Jesus. And What is your message here this morning, Pastor? My message this morning is, there has to be a revival in Laodicea. I'll say it again. The church in America needs revival. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Can we pray in Jesus' name? Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus today. Oh, we pray for revival today. We pray a deep stirring within the heart of your people, oh God. We press back, Lord, against that Laodicean spirit that is in our country right now. We push back against it in the name of Jesus. Uh, may we be awake and alive and empowered, oh God, to do your will. Oh, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, praise God. Laodicea needs a revival. I want you to listen with me to the indictments that the Lord made against Laodicea. Notice what he said. He said, you're blind. Isn't that interesting? He said, you are blind. Now, notice what an insult that must have been to them because they had ophthalmology clinics. They were known for their eye salve. They were the people that fixed people's eyes. And yet Jesus said, he said, you're blind. And they were blind and they didn't even know they were blind. They were stuck and they were unwilling to admit that they were stuck. There was just enough of God in their lives to lull their senses to their own lukewarm condition. The preaching didn't move them anymore. There was no anointed altars anymore. There was no more tears and eyes. Sensitive conviction that no longer prodded them like it used to. Their ears had grown stuffed with the voices of those trumpeting their economic success. Uh, you're such a model citizen, Laodicean. You've got it all together. You frequent church. You're so good. You really are something, aren't you? Oh, hallelujah. What I'm preaching to the church today is that we've got to be a church that's not blind, but a church that has spiritual vision. We've got to have a vision from God. He said to the church in Laodicea, you're blind, you can't see. I tell you what, we need the opposite of that. We need sight that comes from Jesus. We need a sight that can only come from the Lord. We need God to open up our eyes and to give us a view of what life is all about. I pray today that we would have such a revival that God would give us a fresh vision to be able to see things from His perspective. Oh, Jesus, the church in America needs spiritual vision. We can't be so captivated by society that we no longer see the spiritual vision that's in front of us. Oh, hallelujah. 
The dangerous dilemma that Laodicea had was that it was not too bad, but neither was it too good. It was self-sufficient, not God-dependent. It was not cold like the waters of Colossae, nor was it hot like the hot springs of Hierapolis. Laodicea is lukewarm and provided neither refreshment for the spiritually weary nor healing for the spiritually sick. Like the six-mile-long aqueduct that brought water, you have to think about this. When it brought water from six miles away, they could pipe it in. But when it got to mile two or mile three or mile four, it began to get warmed by the sun until when it came into their city it was lukewarm and God was trying to tell the church in Laodicea that just like the lukewarm water that you've been drinking your spiritual condition is the very same thing he said it's lukewarm a lasting condition that was nauseating to God God said I just want to throw up because I can't stand having lukewarm saints God said I can't stand having not hot or not cold but lukewarm that creates distaste and nausea God said it makes me sick nothing was commended in the Laodicean church two churches there was good with no specific ill mention four there was good and ill mixed together in one there was bad with no good And in the Laodicean church, nothing was commended in the Laodicean church. Their spiritual uselessness uh, while claiming their wealth uh, made them worthy. God said, I've had enough of it. What I'm saying and remind, I know in many ways I'm preaching to the choir, many of you here today. What I'm saying is that the church in America needs revival. The church in America needs to be red hot and on fire. The church in America has got to be plugged into God like never before. The church in America needs a revival like it's never seen before. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. He made an interesting statement. It flies in the face of much of Christianity today. I find it, it's, if it wasn't so terrible, it would be comical. He said, notice what he said. He said, I know your works. He said, I know your works. To all the people that say works don't matter. All the people say it don't matter. People say works don't matter. You say, works don't matter. We know we're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. In other words, God changes us and we have good works. And and the indictment that Jesus said, he said, I know your works. I know your works. I know what you're actually doing. I know you're praying. I know you're giving of your time. I know you're giving your resource, your finances. I I know know the passion for worship and prayer. Prayer might happen for a hasty 10 seconds before a meal, but he says, Laodicea, that's about the size of it. And, and sadly, he said, Laodicea, you're happy with that. He said, Laodicea, there's no more of this soul-searching stuff. It doesn't happen anymore. There's no weeping in altars anymore. People are just getting by, but they know what they know. They know apostolic doctrine. They know Acts 2.38. They can say they know God. They know the identity of Jesus. Uh, we just don't want to go out all out anymore. That was the spirit of Laodicea. The spirit of Laodicea was, leave us alone. We're happy with where we are. We know the doctrines. We've been taught. The church has been here. How many? years uh, but their worship had become lukewarm it was not fervent and heartfelt it was mechanical and cold the voice of shouting was not heard anymore it was replaced with a more socially acceptable formalism that was pleasing to the city's movers and shakers uh, dancing didn't pl- take place in the church anymore 
Laodicea would say we can't lose our distinguished position because we're somebody's. You know all of that. After all, we have arrived. We've got our prosperity. It speaks loudly enough for the token evidence of God's blessing. Everybody can see it. I would say here today, and again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm preaching that America needs revival. What They may say, what good would it be if we scare our community uh, you know, away with our overboard sense of our love for Jesus? Uh, no more of this illogical emotionalism. We prefer a more, quote, balanced and tame form of worship and religion. No more tears, no more worship, no more shout, no more upraised hands or anointed outburst. Uh, but Jesus said, he said, I know your works. Uh, you have a reputation to uphold, uh, but it doesn't matter. He would say, Laodicea, how much the community loves us. If we lack enthusiasm for Jesus, it doesn't matter if Laodicea has a reputation, but others don't know Jesus. Oh, hallelujah! Hallelujah! America is Laodicea, and Laodicea is America. That's why I feel a little bit of a brick wall in the spirit here this morning. Oh, hallelujah. But America needs a red-hot Holy Ghost revival. America needs a revival. It needs a revival of prayer. It needs a revival of righteousness. It needs a revival of intensity. It needs a revival of eagerness for the things of God. It needs a heart sensitivity for the Lord. America needs a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost Jesus name apostolic acts to revival. America needs a revival. Jesus and the Laodicean church preaching had become formal and mechanical. The amen is no longer heard. The hunger for the word had been replaced with the desire for quaint stories to soothe us and make us feel good about ourselves. Give us three steps to successful living. Give us the power of positive thinking. Give us a sermon like the preacher who writes quaint books for the masses. Be vague. Be innocuous. Be inoffensive. Stories and allegories. Just please, no more meat. No more weighty things of the scripture. Whatever you do, don't bore us. We're Laodicea because we'll vote with our faces, with tired nods and sleepy looks and unfocused distance in our eyes. We will appear to be in another world. The church of the Laodiceans begs for night. Happy short sermons. But I'm preaching here today. We got to be a church on fire and revival. We have to have a passionate, powerful, anointed, biblical preaching of the Word of God. We don't need sermonettes for Christianettes. Uh, give me my 28 minutes, Rev. And I'll be out of here. I'll even drop my white envelope in the plate. Just don't make me stand longer than 35 minutes or be a part of a service longer than 60 minutes in duration. I'm saying America needs revival. And may we be a church that pushes back against the spirit of Laodicea. A church that says... 
bring me the word. Bring me the word. I need the word marinated with the spirit. I need an experience with the word because the word will change me. The word will rearrange my soul. The The word will fix me. The word will convict me. The word will change me. The word will strengthen me. The word of God. The word of God. And Laodicea. Oh God. The passion for evangelism had been silenced. The saints in Laodicea said, Don't tax our schedules. We're busy. We're busy with our children. We're busy with our entertainment. We're busy with our social interaction. We're busy with our games. Leave us alone. Don't call us to a higher way of life. We have careers to build. We have children to entertain. There is fun to be had. Be different? What are you talking about? There's a reason why. God help us. We've tried to talk about it a lot as of late. Talking about our community. Reaching. You know why? I tell you, the the healthiest place that I can be in is when I am investing my life in others, in the work of God. Come on, I'm selfish. I'm selfish. I'm self-oriented. If I'm not careful, my, 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 my flesh, my carnal nature will put me into a place where my whole world revolves around this tiny little planet called me. It's just me. I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for Saturday outreach. I don't have time for a Bible study. I don't have time to care for somebody else. When can I remind us the only thing that's going to matter? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? The most valuable thing on the planet is our relationship and the souls of mankind and may we ever be a church that is continuing to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ Laodicea Laodicea when the appeal was made can you help out can you help out saints in Laodicea would say listen I got my job I got my stuff We come here once a week. Don't expect any more than that of us. This is it. We sacrifice to come to church once a week. It takes time to get to church and expend ourselves. We have our own activities to busy ourselves with. I'm worn out, you see. I'm weary. I'm tired. Don't talk to us about growth and progress. I don't want to come to church and be inspired to do more or do better. We have finally arrived, and it took us a long time to get here, says Laodicea. Leave us alone. But that's why that a church that's in revival on fire is filled with people that are not saying, leave us alone, but they're saying, man, I want to do more for the Lord. I want to do more for my God. What can I do for my God? Oh, somehow or another, let that spirit be in our heart. And I know we got to constantly be pushing back against everything that is trying to pull us every which way but loose. And I know we can get weary, and I know we can get tired, and I know sometimes we can get weary and well-doing, and we can say, is it worth it? I've come here to remind somebody here this morning, it's worth it. What you do for Jesus Christ is worth it. What you do for the Lord, every expenditure of energy, every time you sacrifice, any time you give of yourself, there's a God that says, I'm pleased with that. And oh God, we're pushing it back against Laodicea. We're pushing back against the spirit of Laodicea of our world that says, uh, just kick back. It's time to retire. 
I'm messing with someone this morning. Please feel the spirit in which I bring this here today. Oh God, for us to be an Acts 2 Bible revival church. A Bible revival church. A church filled with involved people. Involved people. Giving themselves. Doing things that don't just benefit me. It's not for me. I'm not doing this for me. Sometimes it costs me. But oh, if I can bless someone else. If I can be there for someone else. That's pushing back against the spirit of Laodicea. Laodicea's uninvolvement. Its own prosperity that had lulled it to sleep. I will say here today, and I'm I'm just preaching this because it's the culture that we are living in today, folks. It's the culture we're living here today. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm I'm just trying trying to face us with some things that the culture that we're living in today. Because listen up, the spirit of indifference is the most tragic thing that can happen to a church. That's Laodicea. The spirit of indifference is the most tragic thing that can happen to a church. Laodicea was like America Laodicea has become representative of a religious attitude that we must constantly guard against and listen, attack with a fervent faith and love for God. Come against that. What do you say? You're rich. You're increased with goods. You have need of nothing. I've just got to remind us over and over again. I've Tried to do this with my kids over and over, talk about it. We don't even realize because it's the air that we breathe. It's all that we've ever known. That we are the most prosperous nation, not only on planet Earth, but the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. In the history of the world, we're the most prosperous nation. And it's a blessing, and we thank God for it. But we can't allow the blessings of this life and this world to choke us. And to cause us to become indifferent and to put us to sleep, rich and increase with goods. And the indictment against the Laodicean church was that they had need of nothing. I'm going to give you a little secret here today. This is my secret. This is my secret. If I have any secret of my walk with God, this is my secret. I'm going to give you my secret of my walk with God. If there's one thing about my walk with God that I know, that I know is when, when I go to pray, it's, oh, God, I need you. And, you know, God sometimes will put enough pain in your life and difficulty in your life and adversity. If some of you have that in your life right now, it's not easy for us to do, but you ought to thank God for it because I'm telling you what it reminds you of. It reminds you of the fact that I need Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Let me tell you, a church that's going to have revival is a church not that's rich and increased with goods. Oh, I don't need nothing. We're good. Jesus, we're good. We got it. But it's a church that says, we need you, Jesus. Come on. Come on. We need you, Jesus. And we know that we, and we really know it because we've experienced it. Come on, some of you come from some such brokenness in your life. And God begins to fix you, but then he lets you return back to your brokenness for, for moments of time. You're like, why is this happening now? And it's not, he's not vindictive. We heard a message yesterday that was powerful and helpful in so many ways. And that was what it was reminding us of. It's not because God hates you. God sometimes allows a little brokenness in your life. He allows a little deficiency in your life so that you go, oh, oh God, I need you. And it reminds me, over, I need you, Jesus. I need you. And I go to prayer and I lay on the floor before God and I say, I need you, Jesus. I need you today. I can't build a career without you, Jesus. I can't build my family without you. I can't even live for God. Without God, I need Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, without the active presence of God in my life, this pastor right here, I'd have been history a long time ago. I'd have been bye-bye gone. 
You'd have somebody else in this pulpit right now. I know that better than any of you know that. I know I got to have Jesus in my life every day. I got to have him in my life every day. The answer for revival in Laodicea is we need Jesus. Jesus. We need him. We can't have a single church service go by without him being here. I, I can't go a day without Jesus. There's a fine thread and a fine theme that is holding my life together. And it's the thread of Jesus in my life. He's, he's, he's making it all work. And I need Jesus. So I'm rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Wow, can you imagine? Whoa. <laughs> no wonder God is like we got some stuff to talk about, Laodicea. Amen. The final point that I want to make here today. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and this is a point that I believe the Holy Ghost is talking to our church right now. This is a point that's going to follow through next Sunday and the weeks to come. Whether you realize this or not, we had a plan on our calendar of all kinds of stuff that was planned for, for these next couple of months. And I have a funny thing. When I pray and I talk to the Lord, I say, Lord, the, the best laid plans of mice and man. <laughs> I do believe God wants us to do a part, so we plan and do it. But, but it's only us doing our part and us being willing to shift with whatever God has. And I believe right now that God is shifting, okay? And this is one of the points that he is shifting us as a church, okay? Listen up. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Not in Laodicea. Not at Laodicea. It's the only church I find that is addressed this way. It was the church in Ephesus, the church at Corinth. But not of the Ephesians or of the Colossians. This was the church of the Laodiceans. Okay? What, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that one was a city location. One was an inhabitant of the city. Let me break it down a little further like this. The regional attitude... The regional attitude of Laodicea became perfectly represented in the people of the church so that the church was more Laodicean than it was Christian. That's why I said the church of the Laodiceans. The church was characteristic of the city. The church took on the, the personality, if you will, of the community. The church began to blend, mix, and marinate until the church was like the city. Okay? So what's the message you have for us this morning? Church, we cannot allow Laodicea to dictate the church. And that's a constant battle we all have to fight. Every one of us, as long as we live here on planet Earth, is going to fight culture influencing us influencing our thinking, our lifestyle, our conduct, the way we, and we go, well, that's, you know, that's not all that bad. And if we comparatively do that, and the problem is, all you got to do is scroll on Facebook a little bit. It's amazing. All the quote-unquote Christian people that have just concepts that are just, it's, and it's simple, it's just, and it's, it's natural, and it is going to happen because culture is, is, is going to influence, influence us if we allow it. What are you saying? I'm saying the church can be in the city of Corinth. Amen? Amen? The church can be in Corinth, but Corinth can't be in the church. Am I making sense? The church can be in Laodicea. That's, that's not a big... It can be in Laodicea, but Laodicea can't be in the church. 
The church can be in America, but America cannot be in the church. The church can be in the world, and it's going to be in the world until Jesus comes. And by the way, we're not building a commune way up like north of Big Fork somewhere with 22-foot walls. We're not building it because that's not how God designed it either. We're not building a commune up there. We're going to hold the fort till he comes. No, because God wants to empower this church strong enough so that ready, ready, ready? So the church impacts the world. The church changes the world. The world looks at the church and says, man, their marriages are working. The the world looks at the church and says, man, they have sanity in their mind. How's that happen? The the world looks at the church and says, man, they got miracles there. That's incredible. The world looks at the church and says, man, that dude right there was a total bomb, derelict. But look at him. He's an upright citizen in Grand Rapids now. And then the world looks at the church and goes, man, I want to be like the church. Not the church uh, trying to be like the world. Ah. How do we have revival in Laodicea? Do we have revival in Laodicea just by trying to appeal culturally to Laodicea? Do we, do we become like Laodicea? If, we, if we're just more like the world, then the world will come into the church. No. If that light in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? No, what that means is if I I'd be single, I've got to be focused on Jesus. I've got to be focused on the Lord and not allow Laodicea to influence me. But, oh, God, help me. We want to influence America for the glory of God. We're going to have to walk this out over the course of the upcoming weeks. But we're not letting worldly doctrine form our doctrine. We're not. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not, I'm not going to be rude. But I'm just telling you, some of the whacked out stuff that's happening in America right now. Not being mean, not being rude, not screaming at the darkness. I'm just, I'm illuminating what's happening. And anybody that's, i got to be really careful. Under the anointing sometimes. There's wacky stuff. There's wacky stuff that's floating around. This 122 genders or whatever, I'm sorry. There's not 122 genders. There's two genders. There's only two genders. I'm not being mean. Not being mean. we got to get our heads screwed on right. It's just not. It's just not. God created them male and female. That's just an example. There's all kinds of stuff we can look at. What are you saying? I'm saying this world is confused because the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience is messing this world up. They're all marching to the beat of their drummer. We as the church have got to march to the beat of a different drummer. That means the word... The Word of God. That means the Spirit of God. I'm going to let the Word form what I think. And if it's against the Word, then it's not true. I'm going to be in the Word of God. We're not trying to be like lost society. Come on. It's been another theme. God's talking to us right now. Folks, if you're here today and you're riding the fence, number one, I want you to know I love you. Jesus loves you, we love you, the church loves you. So this statement is not to drive you away. This statement is hopefully to get you off of the fence. If you are riding the fence and you're half in church and you're half out of church, get all the way in the church. Get all the way in the church. Ride a bus, ride a car, ride a horse, ride a donkey, but don't ride the fence. Don't ride the fence. It's painful. You'll get splinters. Don't ride the fence. Get off the fence. 
get in the church. Make up your mind. I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to give my life to ministry. I'm going to be sold out to God. I'm going to live for Jesus until I breathe my last breath. I'm going to be a part of a revival. I'm going to be in the church. I'm not going to live half in and half out. I'm not going to be a cake that's half baked. I'm going to be in the church and I'm going to be committed. Oh, hallelujah. Please receive the spirit in which I bring this message. I am not here to just criticize America. Because listen up. God loved Laodicea enough to win people in the community and to found a church in the community so that the church would change the city. I'm not just here. Could it be? I mean, I don't know. Could it be that the reason why America has gone so far wayward is that the church has become so much like the world that it's no longer impacting the world? Oh, God, I, feel a, I prayed this, and I feel a prophetic word. And the prophetic word I feel is that we better buckle our seat belts. Because when we have apostolic revival the, God want, the way God wants it to have, there is going to be tremendous blessing and anointing that comes, uh, but there's also going to be an onslaught of resistance that comes. Uh, everywhere that Paul preached, when he began to preach about revival, he preached about Jesus, and he had, they had revival in communities. They had one of two things happen. They had riot or they had revival. You know why? Because the church was so different than the world. They were preaching. Paul preached against the gods of this world. He preached against them. He preached, you got to separate yourself from the pollution of idols. Come on. You separate yourself from all that mess, and God's going to change you. And the devil got stirred up, and the world got stirred up. But they had revival that transformed communities, transformed families, and transformed lives. Not because they were like the world but because they were like Jesus. Am I okay here this morning? God loved Laodicea. He loved Laodicea. And he loved the Laodicean church. He could have just went, later guys, you're out. I've removed your candlestick. He gave them a warning. He said, straighten up. He gave a particular warning for each church. I think Laodicea is, is again, it's very, very, very not unlike the, 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 the world that we live in today, American society. God loved Laodicea. And I'm praying that America has a revival. Laodicea has a revival. Here's my message. Music come. I'm done. I felt like preaching an hour and a half. We're just under an hour. We're good. The living Lord, listen. The living Lord demands enthusiasm. And total commitment from those who serve him. I'm going to say it again. The living Lord who gave his everything. Expects everything from us. Our heart, our life, giving it. We can't do it without him. But he expects total commitment. He expects enthusiasm. From those who serve him. So what happens when I'm tired? What happens when I'm wore out? Because I'm preaching to some saints. Come on. You've been through the grinder, some of you. You've been through the grinder. You're coming out of COVID. You're coming out of all this stuff and mess. And you got stuff that's just 
ragtagging behind you, trying to pull you back from where you came from. Some of you at times feel like giving up. I'm going to tell you what, hold tight to Jesus. When the going gets tough, the tough goes to Jesus. The tough goes to Jesus. And Laodicea, I'll tell you what Laodicea needed to say. Wake me up, Jesus. Lead me to the altar again, Jesus. I'm getting my prayer life back. I'm going to establish a prayer life. That means every day. That means every day. I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to make an effort to connect my spirit with Jesus. I'm not going to come to church like a Christian on Sunday and live like an atheist Monday through Saturday. Come on, church. I'm getting my prayer life back. Oh, hallelujah. Fellowship is going to be top priority. You wonder why we're doing what we're doing on Wednesday. We're doing what we're doing on Wednesday because we need fellowship. We need godly fellowship. We need to be with one another. We don't need friend group in the world just trying to pull us out of the church. I'm tired of people getting pulled out of the church because of their choice of their most intimate relationships. We need fellowship from Jesus. Come on. We push back against the spirit of the world by saying, I'm getting involved in ministry. I'm getting involved. How can I help? I'll lend a hand. What can I do? What can I do? I'll do something for you, Lord. It's, it's not a cross that I have to carry. It's a privilege that I get to serve the Lord. I'm getting involved in ministry. I'm going to connect in fellowship. Soul winning. I don't know how to do that. I'm no, come on, none of us are all stars around here. And that's okay. We're just a bunch of regular, normal people that serve an extraordinary God. An extraordinary God. He's not looking for superstars. He's, he's not looking even for ability. He's looking for availability. People say, I'm signing up. That's me, Jesus. Here I am. What do you want to do? I'm here. I'll help where I can help. I'm getting involved. I'm pushing back against that Laodicean spirit. That's not going to be the way that I am. No, I'm going to maintain a sensitive heart to God. When I do wrong, I'm going to repent before the Lord. Come on, church. I'm talking about, I'm preaching about revival in Laodicea. Holiness and righteousness is just who we are and what we do. It's because, oh, you're those people. You're those, yes, we're those people. Oh, legalists, that's what you are. No, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an answer for legalism. No, it's not legalism. I'm going to tell you what it is. We love Jesus. We love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. And, and we love Jesus. And listen up, it's going to make us counterculture. It's going to make us counterculture. When we love Jesus, the Spirit of God in us is automatically, it's just going to make us counterculture. We're going to be different. It's not legalism. It's because we love Jesus. You're going to be hearing more about why we do what we do. But we do fundamentally why we do what we do is because we love Jesus. I love Jesus. That's why I do what I do. Hallelujah. I want to please my loving Lord. I want to please my God. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I love the Lord. Stand with me together. We're going to open these altars, and I'm going to pray that God gives us fiery, Holy Ghost, powerful, strong.